Good morning and welcome to the Bev Smith Show, brought to you nationally. For the last couple of days, I've been engaged in conversations with women about marriage. And every now and then, a guy pops in and joins the conversation. We've been talking about marriage and asking a question, can marriage as it is designed really work? And we were talking about women like myself who've been separated for years and years and years and years, never lived with anyone. And, you know, we were talking about getting married again. And the consensus was that marriage cannot work. Well, what is marriage? Why is the divorce rate so high? And that's inside the church, outside of the church. No one has been spared. Ministers are getting divorced. Preachers are getting divorced. There's some talk about former presidents getting divorced. This thing called relationship, this thing called marriage, we don't have a clue now, do we? That's when I saw a copy of a book. Actually, before I even read about this book in Talkers Magazine, I saw a copy of this book at a friend's house. Till Death Do Us Part. It happens to be in its fourth printing. And I looked at it. I opened it up and it says what the Bible really says about marriage and divorce. I thought, we've talked about it from every other aspect. Let's talk about it from this way. Because I'm wondering, marriage as it is, as it is designed, relationships as they are occurring, nothing is working. So I am delighted tonight to have a man who wrote the book. The book is called Till Death Do Us Part, and it leaves nothing for, up for, for confusion. It begins at the very beginning with how marriage came about and walks us through. I am delighted to have with us the man who wrote this book that will have you dialing that number. Please welcome Dr. Joseph Webb to the show. Hello, Dr. Webb. How are you? Bev, I'm so look, I've been so looking forward to this time to get, be together with you on this program. I appreciate you inviting me. I am so happy you could be here because everyone wants a relationship. That's right. Everyone does, doctor. But the truth of the matter is we really don't know what we want. We know we want something, but we don't know what that something is. We don't have good examples of what that something is. And, you know, looking back, I don't even think we're really educated about marriage enough to really get involved with it. I think we ought to have classes. So your book came in handy in my discussion. And I'll tell you something, Joseph. We were having this discussion. We pulled out the book and it lasted a couple of hours based on your book. But I'm sure you've heard this before. I'm sure you have. How did you get involved in talking about marriage? Well, that's an interesting question, Bev. I, I, I keep telling people that I, first of all, declare myself not to be denominational. I am a biblicist, which means whatever the Word of God says, that settles it for me. And I, from Genesis to Revelation, I believe that it is truth from one end to the other. And the Bible says that you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When the Lord calls most men, he calls them to comfort the afflicted, but evidently he's called me to afflict the comfortable. (laughs) And I am a lover. I'm not a fighter. I have spoken in 30-some different denominations. I've held citywide, countywide crusades throughout the United States and around the world. I've worked with many of the non-denominational ministries that are outside of the church, and at the same time, I've worked in churches, and my last pastor was for 23 years. I don't have a bone to pick with someone. I was married for 
29 years and very happily married. And But when I was in my, that church, and I would start to read my Bible, studying for my next sermon, if there was a verse on, on marriage or divorce, it jumped out at me. I don't know how else to explain it, but I thought, well, what, what are you trying to say to me, Lord? I'm really not interested in any divorce. I'm very happily married. But then what, I would just think on it for my, a moment, write down what, I, what came to my heart, and I'd put it on my, desk, on my shelf above my desk. And this went on and on and on until finally I looked up there one day and I had almost an inch-high pile of papers. Well, you know what men are. Women like to shop and men like to conquer. So I went to the Christian bookstore and bought every book I could find on the subject. I thought, I'll I'll see what he's trying to show me and, and we'll go on with this. And I began to read the books out of the bookstores and I found out they weren't going along with what the total Word of God had to say. You mean all the traditional relationship books that flood the counters? Oh, yes, yes. Well... You know, let, me, let me just say right at the very beginning, if we only knew, in our churches today, only knew where the present-day teaching on marriage and divorce came from, we would spew it out of our mouth. We would never again allow it in. Because for the first 1,500 years of the early church, there were four different positions concerning marriage and divorce. I'm talking about from right after the apostles on. There were four positions they took, and every one of them said marriage is for life. You may divorce, but you may not remarry until your partner is dead. But why? Because God instituted the marriage in the Garden of Eden, Bev. And in the Garden of Eden, it says that he brought Eve to Adam, and Adam said, and this is very important, he said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And God, the minute he spoke that declaration of acceptance or receiving Eve, God spoke up and said, Therefore... And whenever you're in the Bible, reading the Bible, and it says, therefore, go back and find what it's there for. Something just happened that was very important. Therefore, he says, shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And uh, in the book of Malachi, it says that a husband and wife become one flesh by their covenant vows. And Jesus said, what God joins together, no man can separate. When God, I said that God is the chairman of the board concerning the institution of the marriage. He instituted, he he invented it. He's the chairman of the board. He has a closed corporation. He didn't issue any stock. And there's no voting rights. He said, this constitutes marriage when any man or any woman for the first time come to each other and commit themselves to one another. In a, in a commitment, God hears that, that, those words and causes them to become or be, at that moment, one flesh. And the term of that marriage, he said, is for life. All right, let's take a break because I want to get to that. Yes. I want to talk about marriage. You know, my mother hired someone to paint our house when I was young. And the man came with his son and they began to be the handyman in our house. And so this particular time, they're going to take the wallpaper down. And my mother said to the gentleman, where's your son? And he said, well, he's not going to be doing this anymore. He's been called to preach. Hmm. And my mother said, called to preach. And the man said about his son, yeah, I don't know who called him. So we have to take a look at marriage that way. Mm-hmm. Who's doing the calling? Who's doing the putting together? And if you are unevenly yoked, Are you still held by the constrictions of being convicted to that marriage for life? Lots of questions about marriage after this. A conversation about marriage with Reverend Joseph Webb. Dr. Webb has written a book called Till Death Do Us Part, What the Bible Really Says About Marriage and Divorce. So you're saying, according to the Bible, the first marriage was the marriage of 
Eve to Adam. Yes, that's right. But God gave Eve to, well, really and truly, if I remember from the Hebrew, Adam asked God for Eve, didn't he? He said he was very lonely and he wanted to have a partner. And God said he would provide a partner for him, and that partner became Eve. That's right. So he put them together. So yes. that would suggest to me that God must put you together in order for this thing to work. Well, you see, uh, there was no one else to be put together. There was only two people at that time. After that, there were, you'll find down through the Scripture that different ones chose. But in most cases, in the Mideast, the parents chose the uh, partner for their, their child, for their son or daughter. Uh, when they'd be born, sometimes a son or a daughter, the two fathers would get together and say, you know, I'd like to have us be related through our children. Uh, they'd say, okay, let's commit it to each other, and we'll start talking to each of our children about this. And they would choose their husband or wife for them. You see, God doesn't command you to marry the person you love, but he does command you to love the person you marry. And so some people say, man, I could never go for this thing where my folks pick out their partner for me. But, you know, the divorce rate over there is a lot smaller than it is over right. here. And I, I sat with some women earlier this year at a wonderful luncheon, some um, Arab women who had marriage arranged. Yes. And some of them had been married for 40 years. That's right. And uh, we talked about love and children. The same thing I would talk about with any women, woman once you get in a group. And there was very little d difference in our conversation. Yes. Even see. though their marriage was arranged, it was the same thing. But what I'm curious about is what you said. If I choose a person, when I said chosen by God, I mean two people that should be put together. And that person is wrong. That person drinks. That person beats me. Yes. That person molests my child. That person is a murderer. That person is a criminal. She is not a mother. She's on drugs. She's on alcohol. That is the wrong person. I am unevenly yoked. Am I still, Joseph, held to that commitment? Well, in answering that question, Bev, let me say, first of all, as a biblicist, that whatever I say tonight, I will not give you an opinion. Every time you ask me a question, I will quote to you the scriptures, because heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. And the Lord said that we are going to be judged in eternity by what the word says. So if someone says, well, I didn't know it says that, God says it's an open book test. All you have to do is read it. So when you ask this question, I can only take you to scripture and tell you exactly what the scripture is. I won't, get, I won't even interpret it. I'll just read it to you, and a, a fourth grader can tell you exactly what it's saying. In 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, in answer to that question, it tells us, that a woman should not leave her husband. Let me read it to you, verses 10 and 11. And under the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So you can't get any higher order than that. He says, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart. So he's leaving an open door there. And, and I want to tell people right now that I have literally counseled women to leave their husbands. But let's go on. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Well, wait a minute. This is the part that I have a problem with, because I want to understand the context that it was written in, the time that it was written, and what it meant. If I am married to someone, and that person is abusive, that person and I are divided. This is, this is an ungodly person. This person doesn't even believe as I believe. Yes then how, it would seem to me a punishment, first of all, for me to stay in that marriage, and a punishment 
for me not to be allowed to find someone else who may have been the right person for me all along and live a good life with that person? Why should I be punished for well, making a mistake? You see, the, the problem is, according to the Scripture, every one of us, the Bible says life and death are in the, the power of the tongue. And uh, by your words, you're condemned. By your words, you're blessed. Uh, In the Old Testament, God constantly gave to the children of Israel a choice. He said, now, if you'll do this, 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 and this, I'll bless you. If you decide to do this, 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 and this, I'll curse you. You choose. And the problem we're running into today, that we are reaping. The Bible says you sow the wind and you reap a whirlwind. We have had a whole generation that says, do whatever feels good. If it feels good, do it. Uh, uh, me, I, it, I, it, I, it, I'm going to do it my way. The song, uh, have, I'm going to do it my way, that's been our philosophy, and there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, the Bible says. Well, I know that, Joe, but listen, I've sat with women who wanted to stay married, who repeatedly went back to the man. Absolutely. And you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And not only did he abuse them, and yes. misused them and commit adultery on those women. Yes. But he abused and misused the children. Yes. And so these women had no choice. If they wanted to be alive, if they wanted to have a life with their children, the children begged them to leave. I thoroughly understand and that. And then they had to go into hiding yes. Yes, I because understand. the man was after them. I mean, God can't see that as what his concept of marriage should be. Well, let me let me just say that let me give you a, a, base, a principle, and that is you can violate a covenant, but you can't break it. You can violate a covenant, but you can't break it. So you're telling me that even under those circumstances? Well, what I'm telling you, Bev, is that God does not recognize a divorce. If, if I come and say, Lord, I'd say to a person, I, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, so, so long as we both shall live, I'll love, honor, and cherish you regardless of your conduct. I'll do that. God says, I heard that. You get married. Now, you see, I didn't marry that person, neither did you. But the problem is today, parents have not warned people of the seriousness of marriage. I mean, this is a throwaway society. Well, wait a minute. This is very serious, this conversation, Joe, that we're having. Because most people, I got married, I'm separated. We don't, I mean, for 35 years. So we don't understand that when we say those vows. And I'm making this very personal right now. Because what happens is you meet this person. You fall in love with him. By the way, my husband and I are the best of friends. We're great friends. Yes. But we weren't when we were married. Right. Hello, somebody. See, love is a feel. A lot of people feel that love is a feeling instead of a decision. Love is a decision that we make. We're going to love him. By the way, God decided that He was going to love us, whether we were worthy of it or not. He decided. He but was what going if to I make us. the wrong decision? What if I base my decision on worldly things, well, the way he you... looks, the car he drives? And then are you telling me when I leave this monster, when I'm through, or when the man takes his children and goes away because he can no longer tolerate the wife, because we need to be fair, it's on both sides, mm-hmm. then you mean to tell me that I am stuck forever in this relationship and cannot even get away from it? Well, I, I said that you can leave that partner. That's what the Bible. Uh, that's all, the only thing the Bible gives me, Bev. And I can only tell you what the Bible says because that's what I'm going to be judged by. It says you can remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband. 
not to not to that man, but to your husband. And that's why. Let me give you another verse. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. Just go slow with me. Pardon me. Just go slow with me, because as a biblical expert, you have seen the Hebrew and the Greek, and you know what the true meaning is, not the translated meaning. The true meaning. Yes. So you're telling me that I can leave my husband, but I can't divorce him. That's right. So not in God's sight, because you made a covenant with him for life. So I can't leave my. I can't get away from him until he dies or I die? Is that what you promised? Oh, we'll see. If before, I were go- before God and these witnesses, is that what you promised? Well, wait a minute then. You know what? Most huh. of us don't pay those vows any attention There's at problem, all, Joseph. We don't pay them any attention. That's right. They're the principle of the thing to do because I think if we knew what you are saying now, and we have to talk about ministers who do counseling because I had counseling. Yes. If we knew what you knew now, I believe, my friend, that we would look at these vows a whole lot differently. You're absolutely right, Bev. Let me give you an example from Scripture of what you're talking about. Well, I didn't really understand. I was too young and so forth. Uh, Remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Yes. Jacob was a mama's boy, and Esau was a hunter. He came in from the field, and Jacob was cooking. He says, give me some of that food. And he knew that that Esau despised his birthright, which was very valuable. And he said, well, give me your birthright. He said, you can have it. He said, no, swear. He's okay, I swear you can have it. Here's two teenagers just, you know, flippantly talking back and forth. You can have it. Okay. He gave him the food. Well, God heard him say that. And in the book of Hebrews, hundreds of years later, the writer of the Hebrews says that this man Esau later on came and with tears of repentance sought to get his uh, birthright, back. birthright back. Yes. But he said he didn't get it. God forgave him for his flippancy and his stupidity, but he didn't get it back. All right, so wait a minute. What you're saying, this is so deep, Joseph. No wonder your book is in its first, fourth publishing. It's getting ready to be a fifth printing right I, now. I, because what you're saying, and this is real important at political times, yes. is that what comes out of my mouth is binding. Absolutely. And what comes out of my mouth not only is binding, but can condemn me for life. Let me give you another example. Joshua was told to go into the land, into the promised land, and destroy all the people. And as he was going through the land, some men came up over the hill with, uh, on camels with dried wine skins and, and moldy bread and old clothes on. They were all dirty. And they said, you must be Joshua, that great king. We've come from a far country. We've heard how great you are. And we've come for you to make a peace a pact with us, a peace agreement with us. Well, he was so elated that he was, his name was so famous and that his, his reputation preceded him that far. He says, get down. And he called the leaders together. They sat down, had a meal, and they agreed that they would have a peace agreement. When they stood up from the meal and they started to leave, somebody came over the hill and said, Joshua, these are Gibeonites. They came from this town right over the hill here. And he said, kill him. And the man of God spoke up and said, no, you made a covenant before God. No. How serious was that? I mean, here they deceived him and lied to him and told him things that weren't even true, but he made an agreement with them, verbal agreement with them. Hundreds of years later, almost 340 years later, David is king. So he was stuck. Well, 340 years later, Bev, David was king, and there was a three-year drought in the land. And he started seeking God and praying. and said, what's wrong? And God spoke to him and said, it's because of Saul. He said, what did Saul do? He says, Saul killed some Gibeonites. And he said, well, what can I do about it? He says, ask the Gibeonites. He went and asked the Gibeonites. They said, give us seven of Saul's sons, and we'll hang them, because the law is a life for a life. 
and they hanged them. And the Bible says in the next verse, and God gave the land relief from the drought. So you're telling me that the only relief a married person can get from separating in a bad marriage is death. No, that's right. Marriage does end at death. And that's the only way it can end. So what happens to the phrase in the Bible that Jesus used, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God. And when I took Bible study, they said that meant obey the law of the land. Now, if that means render unto Caesar and Caesar has laws of divorce and conditions for those divorce, then am I not obeying God's word if I then get a divorce because I am obeying the law of the land? Now, hold your answer. I'll take a break and we'll come back and talk about Caesar's law versus God's law on marriage. A conversation with my girlfriends about a book that I saw leads to the conversation with the author of that book. He's Dr. Joseph Webb. His organization is called Webb Ministries. And the book is called Till Death Do Us Part. From the book, he writes, Before we can determine an answer to today's problems of divorce and multiple marriages in our society, we must go to the root, the foundation, the beginning of the practice of marriage. We must know its origin, its originator. If we miss here, we are building beautiful air castles of men's ideas with no permanent foundation or resolution. Any solution must be based solely upon the complete revelation in God's Word. So in Genesis 2, we find the only reliable resource material to establish the basis for the origin of the institution of marriage. Other books will expound theories and philosophies concerning human relationships, but only God's Word gives historical facts in verse 18, Genesis, second chapter. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him meet for him. So the Lord put Adam to sleep and took out one of his ribs and made a woman and brought her unto the man. Joseph, we were talking before the break about rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God. The law of the land, which Jesus told us to follow, has laws of divorce. And these laws were fought for a very hard manner because at one time, you know, women were the property of their husbands and could be treated in any way. And I'm just wondering how God deals with this issue because I cannot believe that a warm, loving, merciful God that I know would want someone to stay in this situation for life, never having an opportunity to meet someone else who probably was the person they should have been with in the beginning. Well, before we go any further, let me just take a moment and say I've been with you about 33 minutes, and I understand why you've gotten all the awards you've gotten. You don't come on on your program just winging it. Uh, I can see you do your homework, and I appreciate your professionalism very much. Thank you. And then let me say that whatever we do talk about, and we're going to be talking about this probably for a long time yet here tonight, but it's only skimming the surface as to what is in the book. The book is 270 pages. It's going to be over 300 pages when the new edition comes out. But we cover every portion, and I, I just want people to know it doesn't make any difference what I say. 
but it does mean it does make a difference what God says, and I encourage them once they've heard this, they're responsible before God to find out if it's true. Paul said of the Bereans, they were more noble than the Thessalonians because even when I preached, Paul the apostle, when I preached, he said they went home and searched the scripture to see if what I said was true, and he honored them for that. And I want to let everyone know, don't take my word for it. I, I mean, I am a man like anyone else, but I have tried not to give an opinion. It's all what God's Word says. Yeah, I love it. I love what you've done in this book. But it's still challenging, and you talk about Paul. You and I could have a conversation about Paul for a long time, because I have problems with Paul. I really do. And I read Paul. I read his writings. I, I know he was a man. I just have problems. And that's what I think sometimes we base a lot of our behavior on the Paulist point of view. But let's get back to this render now, to concerning Caesar. concerning what you were asking about uh, man's laws, when the disciples went before the Sanhedrin because they had been preaching Jesus Christ, they told them, don't speak of this man anymore. And the disciples brought out a biblical principle very quickly and said, whom shall we obey, God or man? Whenever man makes a law and tries to supersede God's law, those who profess to be believers have no choice in the matter, because Jesus said, if any man comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever he be of you that's not willing to take up his cross daily and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. In fact, he said, whosoever be of you that's not willing to forsake everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus said, I, I want no rivals in your, my, in your life. I want no refusals in your life. I want no retreats in your life. When you commit yourself to me, he said, don't be like the guy that started to build a house and couldn't finish it mm-hmm. when you say you're going to follow me. Mm-hmm. So everything we have, some people say, well, the Bible says it. I believe it, and that settles it. No, no, no. The Bible says it, Bev, and that settles it whether I believe it or not. And we have to understand what does God's Word say, because every word of God, the Bible says, is like silver, seven times refined. God speaks no careless word. So, uh, you see, let me just say that the state does not make two people one flesh. Therefore, they have no right to make two people two again, because God said it's impossible. Okay, so wait a minute. Are you saying to me that when I got married, that the state did not have a right to marry me? Oh, they, they didn't marry you. They didn't marry you. Let me just go back and say, first of all, the, the church does not uh, make you one flesh. I've held, uh, I've, made, I've uh, conducted hundreds of weddings in my 50 years of, uh, 45 years of ministry. Hundreds of weddings. I've had churches of, of you know, 1,300, or t- actually one twenty three hundred people in it. Uh, I never did make two people one flesh. I stood before them as an officer of the state, which was my responsibility, and I listened to what they said in committing themselves to one another, and said, based upon your commitment one to another and your vows, I do not make you one flesh, but I pronounce that you are now one flesh in the sight of God. Now, when I was through, I would go in the back room with the matron of honor or the maid of honor and the, uh, the uh, best man, and they would have a certificate there or a license, and I would write my name on there saying that I had heard them make these statements. You witnessed it. And they, yes, and then the two witnesses would sign it also. But as an officer of the state, I signed, yes, I conducted the f- service, and this is what happened. I would send that into the state. They would look at it and say, okay, now that's going to keep our society organized. We can put that in the file. They didn't make them one flesh. God made them one flesh. That's why Jesus said what God has joined together, no Let man can separate. Us, no man put us under. Okay. But along those lines, sometimes what God wants for me is one thing. What I want for me is another. 
So what about this putting together? Well, if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. And that's another whole chapter in my book, Bev, that God recognizes unbelievers' marriages. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about a, a believer and an unbeliever. If they absolutely will not let you work with them, live with them, then you're, you're free to move out. But they're still husband and wife, Paul said. So that every person listening to us right now that was married, got a divorce, and remarried are in essence, biblically, still married to that first person. Well, let's find out. All right, Um, hold that point. I have to take a break. Okay. You're saying yes, Joseph? We'll find out after this. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. It is that oneness that we're talking about tonight from the book Tell Death Do Us Part by our guest, Dr. Joseph Webb, who is the founder of Webb Ministries, committed to building and restoration of the Christian family. We're talking about marriage, and you can get involved. We'll go to the phones in a minute. Okay. Joseph, I really want to come away understanding this. You were getting ready to make it clear. Wait, hold on a moment. We're having some technical problems. Hold on, Joseph. I can't hear him at all, Summer. Is that better? That's so much better, yes. Okay. And uh, what I was saying is that in my book, most books will take Matthew 5 and 19, chapters 5 and 19, where it says, except to be for fornication. They'll say that means adultery. And they'll say, now you can get divorced for adultery. And then they'll go to 1 Corinthians 7 and say, there it says, you're not in bondage anymore. And that means you can get divorced and remarried. Well, if the, that's not the way you, you find a doctrine. First of all, you take clear verses, all the clear verses, and line them up. And if they all agree, now you've got a basis for a doctrine. And once you've established that, then you go to the unclear verses or the different verses and find out why they're different and see if you can make them harmonize with you. This is proper hermeneutics. That's the science of interpretation. And you take those unclear ones and find out how you can make them harmonize. And once they harmonize, you know you've got the total doctrinal position of God concerning marriage and divorce. And what I've taken is all the clear verses, and I'm going to read just one of the clear verses to you and show you what I'm talking about. And I've, had, I've asked a fourth grader what that means, and he's told me exactly. I didn't have to interpret it. And I've had people during the program call in and say, are you saying? And I said, no, wait a minute, I haven't said a word. I've only read Scripture to you. Well, yes, but you're saying. No, I'm not. I'm just quoting Scripture to you. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the delivery boy. I'm just delivering to you what the Bible says. For Luke 16:18 is one of the clearest verse. It starts off with a very pop, a very familiar word, whosoever. In John 3:16, it says, "Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life." Now, Bev, who would you consider that means? The who, who is the who, so to speak? In John 3:16, it says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life." Who's whosoever? The believer. Me. That's me, isn't it? It means everybody. Anybody on earth that will believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't say religion. You don't have to be this. You don't have to be that. No, no, no. It's anyone at all who believes in me. It believes into. Actually, the Greek word is into. That means like you, you can believe in a wheelbarrow, but will you believe by getting into it? <laughs> and when they let a guy take you across the... So, the 
Niagara Falls in it. it. It's casting your total dependence upon that person. Okay, that same word whosoever here, we can't change it now. It means anybody on earth, whosoever puts away his wife and marries another, commits adultery. And whosoever marries her that is put away from her husband commits adultery. Now, let me put some names to that. Jack and Jill get married, and they, become, they, they be one flesh by God, when God made them one flesh. And then Jack divorces Jill and marries Sue. Jesus is saying here, Jack is living in adultery. Well, how can that be adultery if they got a divorce? The only way that can still be adultery is because God looking down... Jack may have gotten a divorce paper and gotten a marriage certificate for, to live with Sue, but God says, uh-uh, I can't hear you, because if I recognize that second marriage, I'm violating my own holiness, righteousness, and justice. I caused the two of you to be one flesh. You're having sex outside the marriage covenant now. Even though we're separated, even though this was horrible, even though there were violations and abuses, I'm still stuck. Well, Bev, you have to realize something. God does single-column bookkeeping. If a husband does that to the, husband, to the wife, and it's, it's all, over the, all over the United States and all over the world today it's happening, men are getting more and more vicious, and, and the Bible says in Hebrews, God will judge the fornicators and adulterers. But I still have to be there. I still have to be stuck there. But you can live separately from them. See, so here's the, here's the real key, Bev. So many people today think God wants me to be happy. I got news for them. God nowhere says he wants you to be happy. He says he wants you to be holy. He wants you to put him first. I've had people say, oh, I just don't think I can possibly live without my partner. I said, then you've put them in the wrong place in your life. You're to put God first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else that God feels you need will be added unto you. Well, wait, I'm, I'm still confused because also in the Bible, we're instructed that if your sister, if my sister her becomes a widow, yes. then my husband, you, let's say you and I are married, yes. my sister becomes a widow, then you're to take my sister into the home and treat her as if she were your wife. Wouldn't that make you a polygamist? Wouldn't you be breaking that rule? Well, that, that, that portion that you're talking about is an Old Testament portion. I don't know where you're talk- getting it from because it's not in the New Testament. That's an Old Testament portion. Right. And if you go to Acts, the 17th chapter and the 30th verse, it says that in the times past, God winked at and let slide by a lot of the things because of their ignorance. But now, since Christ has come and has been the full expression of God's will, he commands all men everywhere to repent. We don't get away with the things. But let me say this, too, Bev. Adultery has never been grounds for divorce. Adultery has never been grounds for divorce. Never. In the Old Testament, they stoned them to death. There was no need for it. In the New Testament, Jesus said we're to forgive, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. He doesn't deserve it. Neither do I. Well, let's talk about that. In the same measures you forgive them, he says, I'll forgive you. Absolutely. And I would agree with that. And, And I know that a lot of us have said we've forgiven the adulterer, but we have not forgotten the adultery. I said, uh, one guy said, every time my wife and I get in an argument, she gets historical. And he said, you mean hysterical? He said, no, I mean historical. She brings up everything that's ever done in the past. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a little mental book that we keep. But the real, what I'm trying to understand then is this vow. 
Wait, I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to let you finish it. In your answer, if you can explain to me, am I committing myself by the vows that I take? If I then get married and don't say, I will be with you till death do us part. Seven minutes before the top of the hour, the book is called Till Death Do Us Part. And Joseph, I have to say this before you get to your answer for me. You were talking and giving me a compliment. Let me do the same to you. I I just have a passion for Bible study. And I've talked with, in the 35 years that I've been in this business, I've talked to a lot of ministers. Thank you for allowing me to ask you every question that's on my mind, okay? Well, I really appreciate that. I, I just... I have such a passion in my heart because, Bev, I don't think most people realize that the divorce and and remarriage rate within the evangelical church right now is 7% higher than the unchurched world. Divorce inside the church. Inside the church. And that's just an evangelical church. But when you get to charismatic and Pentecostal, it's between 11 and 12% higher. And the fastest growing segment of our society for divorce and remarriage today is pastors. Okay, so we're doing it. Something's not working. Something is not working. Something is not working. All right, you were going to answer me. Well, yes, uh, but I didn't finish that verse, and I think I should. It's very important. I'll come right back to it to answer you on that other part, Bev. Uh, In Luke 16, 18, uh, I told you Jack divorces Jill and Mary Sue, and Jesus calls that adultery. And he divorces Jill, and then he he goes right on in that same verse and says, and if Sam comes along and marries Jill, which we would call the innocent party, after Jack has already divorced her, if Sam marries Jill, he causes her to commit adultery. Now, the only way that can be adultery is that Jack and Jill are still one flesh in God's sight. So that doesn't have to have any explanation whatsoever. Jesus said, if you get divorced and remarry, that's adultery. And then the person you divorced, if they get remarried, that's adultery. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. But now, you know, you remember I said in the Old Testament that God said, if you do this, this, and this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, this, and this, you'll be cursed. Well, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, it says, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous. None of these shall inherit God's kingdom. I had somebody say, well, the kingdom of God, that's, it says, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That just means it won't be as happy. I said, well, let's try that hermeneutically and theologically by going back to Matthew 5, where Jesus said, if a man even looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he would be further ahead to pluck out his eye and cut off his hand and go out into eternity without those, without those members of his body, rather than to go out with them and be cast into the lowest parts of hell. I said, so what you're saying is if a man looks at a woman and lusts in his heart, he's going to go, Jesus said he's going to be cast down where the fire is not quenched. But if a man lives in adultery and dies in that condition, he's only not going to have as much peace and joy and happiness. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't wash. So it's a very, very serious thing, and people are not aware of it. But that's God said blessings and curses. The blessing is if you'll obey him, he says he's come that you might have life. If you don't, he said you won't inherit God's kingdom. Now, well, uh, the one thing then I think that we have to be careful about, if I remember Bible study, is our tongue. Because it sounds like the tongue condemns us. Absolutely. Or what's that saying? And I say it all the time before I'm getting ready to come on the air. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. We have to really wonder if what we're saying is acceptable. We don't understand. We're condemning ourselves. Bev, the only way we can know it's acceptable is to say what God says. one 331 1210 Whoa, do we have lots of folks who want to talk <laughs> to you? And I'm not even anywhere through... All right, so what we've learned thus far, class, as we go into this break, 
is that once you take your vows, you are committed until death do you part. Am I right so far, Professor? That's what God said. And then after, if it doesn't work and I leave him, I am still committed to him until death do us part. Well, let me say, Bev, just interject this. I was married for 29 years, and I lost my sweetheart of 29, after 29 years to cancer. And a year and a half later, lost my only son to a diabetic condition. And so I walked alone for eight and a half years. And I know it's not easy, but I found out that God's grace is sufficient, that he will keep you, he will sustain you if you'll put him first and not do what you want to do. And then after eight and a half years, he led me to a a precious uh, Christian widow who was a pastor's wife, and we've been married now for nine years. So, and her uh, husband di- her husband died also? Yes, he so, died of a diabetic condition. Let's take a break. And when we come back, yes, indeed, it's your turn to talk. We're talking marriage on the Bev Smith Show with Dr. Joseph Webb. For the past 42 years, he's been an ordained minister. And he's worked with young people, done public relations work. But his passion is for families. Just try to save families. He's the founder of Web Ministries. And Joseph, before we get to the phones, what is the Web Ministries? Web Ministries is the organization I established in order to begin to distribute the books, hold seminars around the world, and distribute teaching tapes. I have many teaching tapes on biblical principles for Christian families. I have a booklet called How to Train Up Your Child. I hold seminars on biblical principles for Christian families and on what the Bible really says about marriage and divorce throughout the country. And then I'm also working in uh, trying to instruct pastors throughout the area and going to Bible colleges and teaching this to the students in the Bible colleges. Absolutely, because I will tell you, in all of the counseling and the counselors that I know, your book is the first time I've ever heard it discussed this way. And if we really, what I'm clinging to is all of the discussion in your book about what comes out of your mouth. You know, really, that's what the old folks used to say. Watch what you say. It can come back to haunt you. That's right. And what you're saying is that everything that comes out of the mouth, everything, if you say, I'm going to do this, that's right. I told someone the other day, don't say damn you, because when you say that, you're damning yourself. Don't even say those things. So when you commit yourself in that relationship, that commitment, you put it out there, it stays there, right? Well, Jesus said, don't swear by heaven or by earth or by anything on the earth. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, because anything beyond that is sin. And a lot of people say, I, we want you to make a, a covenant vow that you're going to do this. I said, I won't do that. By the help of God, I'm going to try my best to do that, but I'm not going to make a covenant vow to do it, because I, I want to be very careful what I vow to do. And, and by the way, you know, let me, let me just, I know what's going to happen when people start calling in. They're going to start telling me about how excited they are in the church and how, how much they work in the church. You do, do you know, Bev, that the divorced and remarried people that are in our churches today are the hardest workers, the best givers. They'll come early. They'll stay late. They'll wash the pastor's car. They'll mow his lawn. They'll paint his house. They, the pastors just don't, just don't know what they're going to do without them. And I appreciate what Bill Gothard in his seminar said one time. He said, those who have violated a living or life covenant are the best workers and hardest workers because they're operating out of a guilt syndrome in their, in their spirit. And they'll read a stack of books three feet high to tell them that they're okay and don't know that 
guilt is not in the mind, it's in the spirit, because the Bible says the shame of adultery will never leave. But wait a minute, you said earlier that there was nothing in the Bible about breaking up because of adultery? Never. In the Old Testament, they didn't even have it. If anybody committed adultery in the Old Testament, they stoned them to death. So if your husband cheats on you, and if he's a serial pimp, which means that he just goes from one to the other. Yeah, he's going to be. He's going to have to answer to God someday. I I know, but let me. But just, am I supposed to stay with him? No, no, no. You, I, again, I read to you First Corinthians the sixth chapter and the verses ten to eleven. You are allowed to leave. But I'm not allowed to divorce. You're in a covenant. Let's You're get, in a lifetime covenant. If people only understood the seriousness of the covenant, you know, let me let me tell you, Bev, God the Father is married to Israel. He keeps calling her his wife. And he said over and over, you've committed whoredoms and adulteries against me over and over again. I've given you a bill of divorcement, but if you'll just repent, I'll take you back because you are my wife. You know, God is not even out looking for another wife. He never has. He never will. He says, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to just let judgment come on you, and I'm just going to decimate you down to just where there's just a little remnant left. And then I'm going to raise you up, and I'm going to draw you to myself again because you're my wife. And you see, when God said in the book of Malachi that two people are made one by their vows, he said, and did not I have a residue of the Spirit? In other words, didn't I have enough Spirit left over when I made Adam and Eve? If I had wanted to, I could have made Sally and Bev and... And, and Harry Edith. and all the way down the line, yeah. yeah. And and he said, it wasn't that I didn't have enough Spirit left to make somebody else. I did it the way I wanted. One man, one wife, for life. Let's take a call. Tracy, welcome to the show. Yes, um, good evening, Bill. You sound so confused, Bill. He's confusing you. Um, <laughs> well, it's not so much the confusion. It's just that I can't, it, it, and, and I think Joseph understands that. I can understand everything up to the point of staying married to that person. And, and I don't think you should try to understand that. I think um, self-preservation is the first law of nature. I think this is a lot of Joseph's opinion and interpre interpretation, um, particularly um, with the books of Paul, which I have a problem with because Paul is a self-acclaimed apostle. He never personally met Jesus. He never was taught by him. And I don't trust his books. But I would like Joseph to, because I've, I've noticed he quotes the Bible a lot, uh, and, and he hasn't really uh, spoke to the, uh, <clears throat> about polygamy, which was rampant <clears throat> through the Bible. And Jesus said he came to change. He, he came not to change the law, but for... <laughs> I'm sorry, but fulfilled. So I want him to speak on because that's one of the main reasons why here in America um, Christians get the divorce because of the infidelity of men. And if, in fact, they were true Christians or followers of Jesus, then it would be acceptable for a man to have more than one wife. Oof. Okay, Joseph, this is in your lap. Well, let me first of all uh, correct her in one thing. Uh, Tracy, Paul the Apostle was stricken down on the road to Damascus and was later received by all of the disciples and confirmed and affirmed that he had been called of God to be a disciple. So he said... And he received his... No, no, even the other disciples did. And you write, read the other books of James and Peter and different ones. They all affirm that Paul was definitely an apostle. And he went into the desert, Arabian desert, and when he met with the disciples later, he said they added nothing to me. He got a complete revelation from God concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ while he's in that desert. And when he came out, he said 
to Timothy, he said, what I am teaching you, you teach the faithful men who will teach faithful men who will teach faithful men. And if anybody, and this is the important part, he says, if anybody teaches anything differently from what I am teaching, he is accursed. And these are the same apostles that ran out on Jesus. And according to um, uh, the Bible, which <clears throat> several contradictions when he was crucified, these same apostles ran out on him. So we still going to take their word when they oh. accepted somebody... Well, that, that disrespected Jesus, was out to kill him, and never met him personally. Well, he did meet God along the way. Wasn't he stricken, Joseph, by God when he said, Paul, why are you persecuting That's me? That's right. He was knocked down on the road. That was he a did divine meet revelation God. of that Jesus was a Christ vision. That was a vision. No, a he met God. He met God face to face, and he was stricken by him. Let me so tell you, Jesus but here's the thing, Tracy, Tracy, here's what's happening today. The church has gone from a place where they believed in the, the what's the word I want to say, the the, the Word was totally perfect, no errors whatsoever. We went from that to, the, to the, uh, the inerrancy of the Word is what I'm trying to think of. We at one time preached the inerrancy of the total Word of God. Then we went to the authority of God's Word. God's Word has authority in our lives. Today we're saying, well, I'm, I'm going to have a cafeteria-style thing. God couldn't have meant that, and Paul must have had some different message because I don't like what he says. I, I'll take some of that, but I don't want any of that. The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed. All right, I have to take a break. With the same authority. I have to take a break. We need you to talk about the polygamy thing. All right, we will. Just keep listening. We'll take a break. And when we come back, Joseph on polygamy. No, God on polygamy.